Welcome to the Walder Sportscast with your host, Chris Walder. Welcome everyone to episode 24, the Tom Gugliotta of the Walder Sportscast. I'm your host, Chris Walder, and if you ever want to reach out to me or give me a follow on social media, you could find me on both Twitter and Instagram at Walder Sports. And if you'd like to support the podcast, feel free to give this show a rating and review if you like what you hear, of course, because it helps us out a great deal. So just fair warning ahead of today's show, I know I focus mainly on NBA basketball and, of course, my hometown Toronto Raptors, but I'm not going to restrict myself to just that. I have other sports passions and interests, including professional wrestling, mixed martial arts, boxing, and sports of that nature, and there's been plenty to talk about in those worlds stemming from the past several weeks. So joining me on today's show to go over a ton of news with me is Alexander K. Lee, a former colleague of mine from The Score and downtown Toronto, who now writes for MMAfighting.com, one of the biggest and most respected mixed martial arts sites out there. But hey, I'll throw some basketball talk in there as well. It's it's funny because I hit up Alex for his email so we could record the show together, and he asked if we'd be talking basketball and reminded me of his extensive basketball knowledge. So for all of you hoop heads out there turned off by combat sports, please stick around because we'll also talk some Toronto Raptors and NBA news as well. But before I bring on Alex, I must give a cheap plug for last week's episode when I had on the talented Yasmin Duwale from the Dishes and Dimes podcast, the Neon Playbook, BasketballNews.com, Yahoo Sports Canada, the list is endless at this point. Uh, We talked about the latest happenings concerning the Raptors, you know, including Fred Van Vliet re-signing and the role he'll play moving forward. I even asked her which former Raptors she wouldn't want by her side in the Hunger Games, so... Give Yasmin a follow on Twitter at Carmelo Drama, Carmelo with an H, and check out the interview if you haven't had a chance to do so. With all that being said, though, Alexander will be with me after this quick break, so keep it locked. Joining me now is Alexander K. Lee, a former writer for The Score in downtown Toronto turned writer for MMAfighting.com. Alex, thanks for coming on my podcast, man. I am so grateful to be invited on your podcast, Chris. I know you've been, you have been hustling, uh, and it's great to, to talk to you again. Again, as you mentioned, we, did, we used to work together at The Score. It was, a, it, was, it was the best of times. It was the worst of times. Uh, but look where we are now. And again, uh, congrats, man, on getting the show off the ground. This is sick. I'm just trying to get on your level. That's all I try to do on a daily basis. <laughs> I, I say that to most of my guests, but you specifically, because working alongside you at The Score and now seeing you at MMAfighting.com, one of the biggest mixed martial arts sites out there, I mean, that's a big deal. Yeah, it's really cool. Uh, uh, I remember when I when I got the call, I was just it just almost came out of nowhere, I should say. But, uh, but uh, you know, I was mostly ready for it, apparently, and I've been there now for about uh, over three years now. So, yeah, MMAfighting.com great gig uh, getting to cover something I love which again I think is why most of us get into this industry in the first place so uh, yeah I really can't complain are you happy to be off of video today Alex I know you it's a Sunday morning with that we're recording this you don't have to be all no. dolled up today no Chris I love people to see my face after I've been up like till like 4 35 in the morning uh, working on uh, a post-fight UFC stuff because there's one every freaking weekend and i love it uh and i and i yeah i wish people could see my puffy my even puffier than usual face and even more drown out eyes but uh you know what podcast is great now that now they can hear my my worn out voice instead so it's great <laughs> i know it's funny too like you and i were talking before recording and we brought up the k you know the alexander k lee do you want to tell the listeners what the k stands for well chris i don't know i, I think i might have told you this at the score but this k obviously stands for quality uh especially when it comes to quality <laughs> of spelling so K, it's and people and then people will say, oh, like K W A L I T Y, and I kind of just go, you know, when people like don't know how to get your name right, you're kind of like, uh, yeah, it's really like, it's complicated. It's like really like K W A O U E I L I T X Y, but really, that's this is why I just use the K, Chris. So it's not like a CM Punk kind of deal, like the the folklore behind the two initials. No one knows what it is, but now you've kind of set the record <laughs> straight, my friend. Yes, until next time. Yes. 
Until next time, yeah. <laughs> also, first off, I want to shout out your Twitter cover photo, which is the moment that Pascal Siakam kicked Daniel Tice of the Boston Celtics right in the face. I have to ask you, is that the greatest super kick you've ever seen, or does the I'm sorry, I love you super kick to Ric Flair from Shawn Michaels still topple oh. that? Oh, this was better. I mean, I wish, uh, I, I think Tice could have done a better job selling it. But again, you know, this is what happens sometimes when you call things in the ring, Chris, uh, uh, especially with two guys, two guys who, who might not be that familiar with each other. Uh, sometimes the, the sequence doesn't look that smooth. But boy, it, it makes for a great frozen moment. And uh, it replaced my previous header, which I think, well, I had two previous ones. One was uh, someone making an obscene gesture towards Carmelo Anthony in the middle of, a very, very rude, not obscene sexually, just rude, uh, insulting the man's intelligence. Uh, and then before that, I think it was Kevin Bacon uh, reacting to the lesbian sex scene from Wild Things. So uh, I hope oh, I hope this I hope this is not a PG uh, podcast, Chris, because uh, that, that, that's about as, as body as it's going to get. But um, yes, and now Pascal and Daniel have the honor of being the, the header. Dude, you could say whatever you want on my podcast today. I, I totally get it. We can go PG-13, rated R, whichever direction you want to go. But <laughs> I, I like the cover photo because it kind of blends together the two worlds that we're going to be talking about today, which Absolutely. is professional wrestling and NBA basketball, which I'm happy that you brought up in our DM conversation that you have an extensive basketball knowledge. So I'm going to have to talk to you about the NBA near the end of the please, podcast. But please. first off, buddy, I, I reached out to you on social media shortly after the latest edition of AEW Dynamite on TV. TNT. And I saw a tweet of yours which ranked each one of John Moxley's title defenses as AEW champion because, of course, he dropped the belt to Kenny Omega on the program, which we'll get into later. But all in all, Alex, you look at John Moxley's reign, you know, 277 days as champion. He beat Chris Jericho back in February. A, a rare feat these days in wrestling when it feels like, you know, titles switch back and forth constantly. So what are you going to remember Moxley's run most for? And wh where do you kind of foresee his character heading on the horizon here? I'm going to I'm going to steal a thought from uh, wrestlingheadlines.com, formerly lordsofpain.net for anyone familiar with that website. Uh, it's a long long standing website. Someone wrote an article on there recently. I I, I forgive me, I can't remember the author's name. Um but uh about how he was he was one of the best babyface champions we've had in a while. Now, I think when okay. people think of Moxley, obviously not a traditional uh, babyface in like the you know the the the, <laughs> the oldest way if you'll use that word, but as far as just being a straightforward a good guy, uh yes, his wrestling style is brutal. And, uh, you know, he fights a hardcore style, so there's elements of, like, of, uh, quote-unquote cheating or what have you. But, I mean, that doesn't really apply to today's, uh, a lot of today's babyface wrestlers. But it, it's, they, they guided him so well as far as uh, just keeping him someone you could root for. There was no weird missteps. There's no weird angles in AEW where, where their uh, they're top guys like Moxley are asked to do um, ridiculous things. People do ridiculous things because they want to, like Chris Jericho and MJF. But Moxley, clearly he knows what his character is. He's there to cut these sort of hard-boiled promos. Very simple. No catchphrases. That's one of the biggest things I'll, I'll, I'll keep. If you ask one of the things I remember, he's the rare, like, top guy. He does not have a catchphrase, he, uh, which some people may like, some people might not. It might make it a little bit harder to kind of remember some of his promos. Mm -hmm. but, but that is, you know, what's unique about him and what is so authentic. Uh, which in this business is, is one of the hardest things to be is authentic uh, and be a good guy, uh, which he did, like I said, for the last almost 300 days. So, yeah, the authenticity is what I'll remember. And, uh, boy, they've had a, him and Jericho and now Omega. That's a great lineage. That's a great lineage for the AEW title so far. Is it just weird, though, to kind of, you know, we're, we're two years, almost two years into the existence of this company, and we've only mm -hmm. had three world champions, and the reigns are, are lasting, you know, 150, 200 plus days, you know, and then you watch a program like WWE where belts are kind of going back and forth on a regular basis. Is it kind of refreshing to see championships held almost in a higher regard? Yeah, it's very, it's refreshing. And, and with respect to WWE, the, the good thing about having multiple titles, of course, is they have a roster of so many insanely talented people. So while it does diminish, you know, being to say, oh, we've had like 10 different world champions in the last year, at least, you know, you're, you're giving a lot of people this shine and kind of this prestige of being a world champion in a company that has two world champ, two, three world championships, uh, including NXT. Uh, but yeah, for now, for AEW, for a company that's, that's you know, uh, just starting off, even though it has so much veteran performers, you have to, I think you do have to build it up this way. Um, at some point, will we see quick titles, which is, of course, of course we will. Of course we will. I think as a booker, you never rule anything out if it makes sense. Um, mm -hmm. And it doesn't always work. Again, you're going to have people who love these long title reigns like Moxley had. And you're going to have people who prefer that that attitude era, uh, you know, rock and Foley trading the belt back back and forth. Because it worked. It worked for that storyline. So um, when they have a storyline worthy of that, I'm sure it'll make sense. But right now, I do think the way to go is, is long, uh, long titles. So Moxley surpassed uh, Jericho's reign. Jericho had a really good one. 
he represented the belt in a totally different way. Uh, but they both were really, really solid top guys. And I mean, and the, the Kane Omega era just looks super exciting. And Moxley was recently recognized as the PWI 500's number one wrestler of the year. So, you know, is 2020 Ooh. going to be remembered as the year of Moxley? Or should that distinction fall on somebody else? Because I think you can make a case for guys like Adam Cole, Jericho, like you mentioned, even a Drew McIntyre. Yeah, I man, I loved. Gosh, I was one. I was so happy when Drew McIntyre won that title, and and also it was so bittersweet because it happened. You know, it was just, we're doing the COVID era now, so he he had the first wrestler to have his uh, first like big world champion to have his WrestleMania moment in front of nobody, and they didn't even have the Thunderdome set up <laughs> by then. So it really was kind of this awkward, eerie moment. I'm sure Drew still loved it. I'm sure. I'm sure. Again, for fans like me, it still meant a lot. But for him to do that and then have to carry this belt during a very, very, very tough time. It's a credit to him, and also it's just, it's just a little sad. So uh, I would certainly put Drew up there in ring. He's been great. Uh, I I I've only gone. I don't watch WWE as diligently as I do AEW, but I was mm-hmm. watching some of the Survivor Series, and uh, his match with Roman was great. They both did a great job, and and I'm reminded that uh, McIntyre and Roman just looks like a million bucks. I was just like, man, this is this is what a WWE uh, World Champion looks like. This is like the Vince McMahon dream of what a WWE champion looks like. So, uh, yeah, I'd put him up there. But Moxley, yeah, I mean, do I... The only actual person that I might put over him is Cody. I do think Cody okay. was was maybe, just from, from the from the shows that I watch, maybe the best wrestler in North America. Uh, I, I'm, I'm willing to say that. But um, it's weird, though, because he wasn't the champion of his company, but he kind of introduced his own belt and did all, had all these big matches. So it, it would be something from AEW for me. But again, I am more AEW-focused. You know, perhaps... An even bigger takeaway from that title match between John Moxley and Kenny Omega and, and losing the title is this potential wrestling relationship that we're seeing forming between All Elite Wrestling and Impact Wrestling. And we're going to see the start of that on Tuesday, December 8th, when Omega appears with Don Callis to explain his actions from Dynamite. And part of me thinks, Alex, that this was supposed to be New Japan Pro Wrestling spot, you know, forming this working bond with AEW, but the pandemic threw that out the window, at least for the time being. And, you know, when it comes to ratings, reputation, overall exposure, I think it's clear that AEW is on a completely different stratosphere than that of Impact Wrestling. And we don't even know how deep this relationship or or crossover is going to work. But Alex, if you were in Tony Khan's shoes, why would you be moving forward with this Impact relationship? What do you gain from this? I mean, aside from the instant buzz, you know, that cause and sort of a, you, know, you always want people talking about you, right? Especially with sort of billing this as one of your biggest shows ever. Uh, boy, what an what an ending, right? I, I, well, I was like when when Don Callis was first shouting like Tuesday, tune in Tuesday. I was like I was like I already watch Dark every week. This is gonna be the craziest <laughs> Dark ever. And then and then I put the pieces together in my head. I'm like, oh yeah, he works for okay. In fact, and then he of course they just said it, and I'm like, right, right. That yeah. that makes more sense. That'd be a bit of that would not be an impactful way to end the show, uh, uh, Chris. If they just said, make sure you tune into Dark on YouTube. Um, <laughs> no, uh, yeah, yes, uh, Impact for sure is the one getting exposure out of this. I know there's a lot of people every year. Oh, Impact still exists, but they've actually been doing a lot of good programming since uh, really since Don Callis became one of the one of the head bookers at that that company. So, um, I, and again, I'm not I'm not saying again I follow it as religiously as I would AEW or, or even WWE, but I, I've seen a lot of positive reviews, people, a lot of positive buzz. Definitely one of those things that people who watch it. They don't complain about it all the time. Like I think we as wrestling fans can, you know, we like to complain as wrestling fans, especially yes. uh, long-suffering WWE fans. I think a lot of us who, who followed that company so hardcore for so many years kind of got burnt out from complaining about it. Um, but I do see a lot of people who, who watch Impact pretty, pretty devout. So this exposure will be nice for them. And for Tony Khan, I think a big thing, I don't think it's just this, but I think as most people are saying, the AEW women's division needs a bit of a boost. Um, I think the issue extends beyond talent, to be honest with you. I think it's it's definitely a booking and time thing. So mm-hmm. I don't know how much an infusion of talent will necessarily um, boost what AEW is trying to do. But in the short term, again, if you can get people, if you can get, imagine, Jordan Grace, uh, Taya Valkyrie, Deanna Perazzo, Tennille Dashwood, if you can get any of them uh, to make some appearance in AEW, just have some great matches with, with uh, whoever's the champion, I mean, whether it's Sheeta or someone else moving forward, that can only help uh, AW. So the, the talent infusion will be great. And a lot of great, uh, more, more great tag teams um, in Impact as well. The North, of course, representing us. So it's it, there's a lot of great match possibilities. So AW might, uh, Impact might be getting a little bit more out of this, but I can see why for AW, you, you're trying to make as many allies as possible in, in what is, I know they don't want to call it that, but what is essentially always an ongoing war uh, with the WWE. So it's nice to have allies. We'll see how long it lasts, but it's it's so, so intriguing as a fan. 
And, and like I said, though, you know, as of this recording, we don't know how many crossover matches we're going to see. And I noticed you tweeted out Impact Knockout Jordan Grace's thread oh, of potential hilarious. dream matches. And you had you pointed out John Silver versus Ken <laughs> Shamrock for some reason. And of, of course, that match would be awesome. You know, a Haas fest in its purest form. But are, are there any other pairings you would you think would stand out as dream matches between Impact and AEW? You know, may I suggest the Young Bucks and, and the Motor City Machine Guns 10 years oh, yeah. later or a Sammy Cal- Callahan and the John Moxley. What matchups would yep. you like to see? I'll say the one that jumped out, I think it's because she herself tweeted about it, was Taya Valkyrie, I think, uh, challenged Kenny Omega. <laughs> I, I, can't, I cannot imagine that happening uh, in the current climate of things just because uh, AEW, uh, they don't even do in, really inter- do, don't do intergender matches that, uh, right now. I know, I know Tony Khan's not a huge fan of it. Um, I do think that door is going to open at some point. Um, and, and of course, obviously, Omega kind of has a bunch of other things that need to be taken care of first. As the world champion, but yeah, him him in an intergender match with the tie of Valkyrie or Jordan Grace. I mean, that's easy money, and what a way for to to sort of introduce that to more people. Uh, that that kind of wrestling. Some people aren't a fan, and and I get it. Uh, uh, it's 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 not for everyone because some people say you know it stretches the realism of uh, the quote unquote realism of professional wrestling. You know that ability to uh, suspend suspend disbelief. Uh, others, of course, it's just it's it's uncomfortable sometimes watching a man fight a woman. That's completely understandable as well. But I think if you you've you know, if you look at YouTube, those clips get a lot of views. Um, and there's there's also when you have the right performers, there can be a real magic to it. Uh, whether whether it's a comedy match, whether it's actually an intense match where the the competitors are presented as equals, there there can definitely be an appeal to it. I don't know if you want to overdo it, but there's, there's definitely cool moments where. I mean, you just you just imagine Jordan Grace like uh, press slamming, uh, pick, pick, picking Kenny Omega up overhead and press slamming him outside of the ring or something like it, it would just be a very cool thing. So that to me is is an interesting door to open. Uh, again, not not everyone's cup of tea for sure, but I would if if Jordan Grace and Kenny Omega wrestle, that would be that would be bizarre and amazing. Yeah, one of those once in a lifetime kind of deals. But you're right; I don't yeah. see that ending up on AEW television anytime soon. No. Maybe Impact. You know, I think they're Maybe. a little bit more open to intergender yeah. wrestling. But we'll see what comes of it. I just think it's cool to see this relationship form. And also, you know, Alex, on the same night that Sting, you know, all 61 years of age of Sting, debuted on Dynamite. You know, returning to TNT for the first time since 2001, which Jim Ross and Tony Schiavone pointed out on the program. You know, when he closed down the original WCW with Ric Flair (laughs) and it's weird because you know the reception I saw on Twitter for Sting was pretty mixed and I feel like a lot of the hesitation came from wrestling fans who assumed Sting was going to wrestle again and be featured in a prominent role and I think that much of that flack came from WWE supporters who've dealt with AEW fans poking at the fact that you know Bill Goldberg won a world championship this year and now they foresee the same thing coming true with Sting which I you know I personally don't agree with but you know what do you think Alex what kind of role do you see Sting having on air do you see him getting physical at all because we know his last run with wwe ended because of his injuries nobody maybe because nobody uh, hates regressive booking uh storytelling more than me i <laughs> i i cringe when i see the way uh some of these legends are utilized that said the way AEW has used his legends has been extremely enjoyable uh arn anderson I've always been a huge fan of so the way they, they they've given him uh, a prominent place on the on the show without having him I think overwhelm anything is great. Uh, Jake Roberts I think came in really hot a little bit slowed down now as far as his usage yeah. and sort of and maybe his his e- efficacy as it were, uh, but still still a good guy to have around I think someone who could still be an asset again you just use them you wisely. I hate like when Goldberg uh, went to that run his latest run WWE I hated every second it was one of the reasons I fully fully uh, kind of stopped watching. WWE regularly. I was still watching, I think, Raw every week, and I just I couldn't do it anymore. I could, it was just so cynical. Um, I, I know there's an appeal to nostalgia. I know people like that. Rat- ratings went up. People were watching. So mm-hmm. so from business wise, there's no way I can say, oh, it was a terrible decision. No, it was a very good decision for WWE in the long run. Was it a bad decision? Maybe, but when you're WWE, it doesn't matter because you can always find ways to kind of pop those ratings back up. So um, I, I hated it. I saw a lot of people, like you said, WWE sort of defenders saying, "Oh, you you like legends, but what about when you, this was happening? You guys were all up. <laughs> and it's and it it's it's not the same thing unless Sting wins the world title. If Sting wins the world title, you oh, you guys are criticizing this. You're you're vindicated. You can say whatever sure. whatever crap you want. I sincerely doubt it. Um, I I'm not even sure how much of a wrestling capacity he'll be used in. I don't think they'll use him in a singles match. Maybe hide him in an eight man tag or something, and that's about it. And he'll come and hit someone with a bat." 
hit a whatever moves he can still hit. I don't even know if he can sting or splash anyone safely anymore. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it was a really cool moment. Again, I, I'm not a huge sting fan either. I don't know, but but the moment. I understood it, and the presentation was great. Though when the lights went out for a second, I was like, "Oh, Undertaker!" And then I, I'm, I'm really dumb at predicting things for people. For people who didn't realize, I thought I thought Kenny was going to show up on Dark with the world title, and I thought Undertaker was going to show up at uh, Winter's Coming. So that shows you what kind of wrestling aficionado you're dealing with here. But um, but yeah, it was a very cool moment, and and it hit a lot of nostalgia points. There was a lot of you said it was mixed, but the people that were for it, boy, they they were really emotional about it, and and that's uh that's not something that you can you can you can really manufacture. Do you see Sting kind of sliding into that man? managerial spot you know we, we see with Taz with Team FTW and Arn Anderson with you know the Nightmare family do you think a Sting and Darby Allen pairing is in the cards yeah I, I, I the, you know ever since it makes you wonder how long have they been building to this I think we did know Sting was planning to work with them for a while the, the, the actual debut did surprise me but they've had Darby doing the sitting in the stands thing, you know, putting mm-hmm. the spotlight on him. You know, shades, shades of crow staying, hanging out in the rafters. So very intentional. You know, this isn't this isn't something like, oh, what a happy coincidence that they have staying and they've been doing this stuff with Darby. No, they've been building towards this Darby possible Darby Sting alliance for a while. And again, there's so many great ways you can go with it. You can have Darby finally accept a mentor. You know, he's a character that's bristled so much that people are trying to give him advice, of course, which is, you know, why he's feuding with Team Taz. And finally, you know, the passing down of the baseball bat. I saw someone else say he should pass the skateboard, uh, his skateboard to Sting. And I'm like, <laughs> we're, we're trying to avoid Sting getting injured here. OK, like you said, he's very fragile at this point in his career. He's he's one year younger than Arn Anderson for people to give people perspective. OK, he's yeah. one year younger than Arn Anderson. So he's, he looks in, don't get me wrong, he's in great shape for his age. But clearly him riding a skateboard and, and participating in any of those insane Darby Allen skits, I would hope is out of the question without a without a, a, another Sting double. Maybe we need to do that, but um, but yeah, I think. And then you could have Darby turn on him at some point. So it's 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 a great character to be able to use to be able to pull out. Uh, they said they're having a multi year deal, so I don't know. I'm not sure how how long you can ex- extend this usage. But if they're smart about it, really having legends like Sting around is never a bad thing for your promotion. You don't want a surfer Sting to return. Maybe he passes down the surfboard oh. to Darby Allen. Get get him a new hobby going. I gotta start. I gotta start remembering whose ideas I'm stealing. Because definitely, uh, I definitely saw someone say he has to take a trip. Well, maybe I thought it was you. <laughs> he has to take a trip to the uh, the Lake of Reincarnation at the Hardy Compound, and just for like one day, just pop out as a surfer sting. Like not even a day, like five thirty seconds of a of a Matt Hardy uh, skit. You know, a Matt Hardy cinematic match. Just just to bring it back and uh, and that's the beauty of having a joke like the, the uh lake of reincarnation right is you know you, you have the option to do stuff like that and have it somewhat make sense <laughs> uh if, if that's possible well now you need to be a booker my friend because you put oh. sting in the matt hardy multiverse it has to come to fruition at this point you got to give it's the canon. people what they want yeah he's canon he's gonna be canon sting will soon be canon in the uh <laughs> the, the, the 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 mcu the matt cinematic universe yeah. i touched on this earlier but alex how have you kind of navigated being a wrestling fan during this pandemic because you know obviously there was a long stretch at the very start of this thing where fans weren't allowed into the buildings at all we, we've seen wwe go from empty arenas and they, they had the nxt extras and now they have the thunderdome with like the, the big video boards around the ring and we've seen aew they've slowly introduced more and more fans in a daily place uh impact has no fans present at all has that influenced your enjoyment of the shows at all it it has in mo- multiple ways uh one of them is it's made me feel really stupid about not going to more live shows. Um, I've got, I stopped going to independent shows uh, probably, I think like near the end of 2018. And not for any reason, I just got lazy. It was it was, uh, it was just like a little too far out of my way to drive. And it wasn't even a long drive. You know, it's where yeah. we have a lot of independent wrestling, good independent wrestling in Ontario. And and I used to go pretty frequently and I, I loved it. Uh, li- live wrestling, of course, for anyone who's gone to, a, to a, if anyone has never been to like a small indie show, you have to go, you need to get, get front row tickets. It's like whatever, you know, for like 40 bucks, front row tickets. And it just it, it's it's the real way to watch. Um, it's great to be you know uh, uh, in, in a big arena watching from the nosebleeds. That's great too. You know, there's, there's great appeal to that as well. But seeing it up close, I I miss it and I miss it. And I guarantee you, when when we're out of this, boy, I'm gonna go to a lot of shows. I I've got, I've got to see them. But I was lucky. I've been to a couple of AWs. Yeah, a lot of the yeah. key AW shows. Yeah, had to do it. Had to do it. I've been to a couple of shows, a couple of them in Chicago, and then one in Las Vegas. So uh, yeah, I love that experience. But you're right, watching TV and seeing no fans. It's it's an interesting dilemma to solve. I I'm in favor of fake crowd noise. I like it. Uh, mm-hmm. I I know WWE's doing that right now. I have no problem with it. It's and look, it's what the WWE's always wanted. They've always wanted to be able to control their crowd reactions uh, as exactly they want. So there you go. Now you can control your crowd reactions, and uh, you can have Roman Reigns be booed when he's supposed to, and you can have uh, Drew McIntyre cheered when he's supposed to, and everything works out. But 
uh, AW now doing the uh, like limited crowds. I'm mixed on it. It's it is nice to have fans back that organic crowd noise. But boy, I, I'm I'm really nervous about those protocols. You see those people singing uh, singing Judas and just whipping those oh, masks yeah. off. <laughs> that's uncomfortable. That's a little uncomfortable. It's a little bit sketchy. I mean, could you even imagine the Sting return without a single fan in the building? No, exactly. See, exactly. You know, um, uh, and, and uh, same with Arrival and Young Bucks. These things, you know, finally facing the Young Bucks. These things would just seem wrong without having people there to witness it. So, you know, the, again, the nature of wrestling is it's meant to be a live show long before Vince McMahon conquered, you know, conquered the airwaves with the televised show. Uh, it, it, it was a, it was a, this, this treasured live experience you know long before us chris i mean we're both pretty old now but Mm -hmm. long before us it was this treasured live experience it's how it was meant to be it was like it's like theater you know you could watch uh you can watch a recording of hamilton it it, it will never be the same as as being there and and watching the show live so so for for uh these wrestlers have to deal with this and and us as fans are gonna have to digest in a different way I don't think we'll ever get used to it i think like i said we know this this um pandemic could last a while it could be it could be another year before we see fans in. I think even when we're talking 12 months from now, Chris, I don't think we'll be going like, yeah, man, it's gonna be weird when fans are back. No, I think when fans are back, it's gonna feel very familiar right away uh, and and very welcome. So kudos to the companies for, you know, dealing with this as they have uh, and for fans for still sticking with their product. If they have, I know I know viewership is down for a lot of products, but uh, boy, uh, lo- live shows can't come back soon enough, not just for people in attendance, but for those of us watching from home, it's just a whole different vibe. I was going to bring up because you've been to quite a few Smash Wrestling shows, which is a local oh, federation here in in Toronto. So like, what so are the, what are those experiences like for you? Because obviously, it's not on the same scale as a, a WWE and AEW. It's a much more personal environment, much more for the fans there. Yeah, it's just crazy. And, and Smash, thankfully, you know, is one of the higher profile promotions. So, so much big talent has passed through there. Kevin Owens, a few months before he signed with the WWE, that was one of his last stops. Samoa Joe. Um, and and guys like a Butcher and Blade, it's crazy to me to see yeah. Butcher in a in like a main event world title match with Moxley because Butcher is the the base of a band called uh, Every Time I Die, and that's how I first saw him was he was kind of appearing as a guest on a Smash show, a big guy. So I was like, oh cool, he's like a wrestling fan, you know, he he's friends with the guys who run the show. He wants to get involved. He like chokes he comes in like choke slams a guy, and I'm like, oh that's cool. It's probably like a one time thing, you know. He's he's friends. He just wanted to cross us off his bucket list and say he got to kind of be in a ring and do like a wrestling angle. And sure enough, like seven or eight years later. He's a fully trained wrestler in, in one of the biggest companies in the world. So very cool for him, uh, Andy, Andy Williams, the butcher. Um, so that stuff is just surreal. But yeah, w- when you're at an indie show live, you really, I, I've, I've taken people to shows who aren't who aren't fans of wrestling. And when they see it live, they'll, they'll give you that that old school question like, oh, was that real? Like that looked like that looked yeah. real. Like, that, so, <laughs> like someone get, just takes, takes like a body slam. Like, oh, like I've seen that on TV and like, I, I, get, I know how they fake it on TV, but I don't know how they faked it there because that looked real. And it's like, you have to really feel it and hear it and see the ring shake. And of course, most companies also kind of let you just, you know, afterwards go up, touch the ring, and you really feel how hard it is. And I, I know for a lot of people, this is basic wrestling 101 stuff, but really, there's so many casual people who just don't understand how tough uh, the work actually is in that ring. But when you watch it up close, it's just amazing. And just getting to interact, you're a kid again, just getting to slap a wrestler's hand, um, getting a heel to like bark at you. It's, it, really, it really, really takes you back to kind of when you, when you grew up watching. I, I, not just wrestling, I'd say any sport. It's kind of that magic that we don't always have anymore when we're adults. So, I again, I can't recommend going to live shows enough. Well, when this pandemic is over, I feel like some people from Smash Wrestling have reached out to me in the past to come down to see one of their shows. Oh, so, when this you. is all said and done and they start doing the live shows again, you and me, buddy, got to head down there and watch some wrestling. Absolutely. Absolutely. I, I, we have to transition over to, you know, MMA, UFC. And I'm, I'm not a, the biggest expert on mixed martial arts. I was mostly a UFC fan back in the day. I remember the, the Forrest Griffin and Stefan Bonner fight. That was mm-hmm. what kind of, kind of got me into the sport in the first place. And I've certainly fallen off as of late. But usually when I hear UFC news, it, it has to do with the pandemic and positive COVID-19 tests. Because you and I, we're recording this the morning after UFC Vegas 16, where that card was drastically altered in the final hours with three fights getting scrapped <laughs> due to positive tests and we've seen a number of cases confirmed over the last several months Alex and perhaps some that we don't know but you know from your perspective how has the company kind of navigated these treacherous waters through the pandemic how is their reputation overall looking these days well I'll say okay complimentary wise first of all compliments to the staff of the UFC the people whose names that shamefully uh, I don't know all their names most fans don't know all their names 
but whoever is the staff is at the UFC Apex, uh, whoever you know is working over in in Abu Dhabi on Fight Island, the people who put these shows together and handle the day to day operating stuff, those are the people who deserve so 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 much credit. Yes, of course, the fighters, coaches, the participants. I mean, these guys are heroes. We know that they're, they're the ones who get all the glory too. It's these people behind the scenes that, that they get no glory. Uh, you know, they hope they're well compensated. I would hope. But they're also putting themselves at, at high risk during this time. So for everyone out there, I mean, those people really make sure you give those people a shout out. When you see those broadcasts on TV, just think about all the crew and stuff involved in putting that together. Um, because, again, they don't get the glory of a big knockout. They don't get the glory of Dana White saying, mm-hmm. oh, this guy's a star after. They they get their paycheck, which is great. And hopefully a pat in the back from the boss. And then, like I said, they, they should get some love from us. But uh, the UFC and the, as itself, the company itself, I, I you know, we have it's no secret that media has a pretty uh, adversarial relationship with the uh, UFC president Dana White this is not I'm not uh, I'm not this isn't any tea here I think people know he 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 doesn't get along with the media sometimes uh, we don't get along with him we can very we can be very very critical of, of the things he does <laughs> and a lot of us were critical of the them pushing forward with the shows so early and we saw right. for what it was which was that they have a deal with ESPN that they've signed that they signed in the last couple of years and it's very important that they give ESPN x amount of shows so while he can present it under the guise of, look, I'm trying to keep my fighters uh, fed. I'm trying to keep them, you know, keep them working. We know it's, it's the, I mean, just check the schedule. They've had some like 24 shows over the last 24 weeks. Uh, we know it's because they have to do it. Not because they're interested, one, in putting on a quality product, which it isn't always. And two, in taking care of fighters, which by the way, he could do without putting them in a cage and beating the crap out of each other uh, during a pandemic. You have, he's a, he's a, he's a, uh, he's not quite a billionaire, but he's a multimillionaire. The company has a lot of money. It's not a good way to run a business. Don't get me wrong. I'm not saying it's a charity case. I, I understand why they didn't do it. They're not in the business of charity. But um, I, I'll say uh, there's other people who, who sort of learn from their protocol, which is very good. Of course, the NBA did a great job with the bubble. I would, uh, easily the best uh, COVID protocol that I think that we've seen uh, is that bubble. Agreed. Uh, the, the, yeah, the UFC is kind of... Um, I don't think they've grown enough from. I, I wish they'd taken back. I wish they'd, they'd given to the, the NBA and then and then learned from the NBA and taken that back. As far as I know, their protocol has has not changed that much from when they first started, which I think is why we're seeing a lot of uh, positives. I'm speculating, by the way, um, but I do feel like the bubble could be a little bit tighter. I, I have uh, heard reports that there is a little too much freedom as far as where the uh, athletes and their coaches can kind of move around in. So protocol is not always being observed in the tightest way. And hopefully in 2021, we get back to. Uh, get back to it being a little bit uh, more secure because yeah, this is a very high risk business already, uh, and then you add in this very serious, uh, this very serious virus. Um, so yeah, credit to the workers, but I I'm st- I, I do not apologize at all for uh, being critical of of the UFC how they kind of pushed forward and for, and we're not through it yet. For, it's not like they pushed forward. No, we made it through. It's all good now. No, now we're in the thick of it, and now we might start seeing some of the consequences of these decisions. Do you ever worry about, you know, being an MMA journalist and, you know, even some of your colleagues in the industry being critical of Dana White and the company during these times? Do you ever worry about possibly saying the wrong thing, any potential backlash that might hurt your ability to get interviews, get work done? Or is this just kind of like, you know what, this is the lay of the land. This is what's going on during the pandemic. We have to be completely honest about this. Yeah, Chris, look, I hate to say it, um, but again, I don't think I'm saying anything people don't know. And that's while we want to be critical of the company when it's when it, it when it calls for it and, and critical of Dana White when it calls for it, anyone who's listened to a presser, I'm sure has been left wanting and wondering why did we not ask certain questions. I like to think for the most part a lot of outlets do a good job of, of asking the important questions, mm-hmm. but stu- stuff does get left out, wh- whether because of um, there's no time for it, uh, there's just but or or again it's not it's not it's not the time and place for it. Um, and again, and that's a shame, you know, we, we need to do better with that. This is not, this is not an excuse. This is not me saying, oh, well, people don't understand, blah, 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 this how this should be. No, we, we, we have to be better with that. Um, how, 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 how well are we taking steps towards that? I honestly, I honestly can't say, um, like I said, I'm proud of the company I work for. I don't want to speak for everyone in MMA media, but I will say, uh, I do feel like even we, uh, MMA fighting, we could be more aggressive asking about certain things. So, uh, loss of coverage shouldn't be a factor. Is it a factor? I do think it is. I do think it is, and mm-hmm. I and I can admit that. Uh, and, and and if any and if and if I'm if I'm wrong, then I'm very least speaking for myself. I've definitely been to a couple of. I, I don't cover live events often. When I do in Canada, I'm definitely. There's definitely moments where I'm minding my p's and q's. If it's if it's the boss man, um, that's up there at the desk. There's definitely a thought to, how's this question going to be taken? 
Um, and that's not always something as a journalist, I think, should be your number one concern. I think, you know, you should be trying to get the story. You should be trying to get answers. So, yeah, that's uh, really my, my short answer uh, would be we, we need to do better with that because there's a lot to criticize and we're not always on top of it. talked about the the success of the NBA bubble just prior to talking about the MMA here and we it was such a prime example of how to do it right and keep everyone safe and stop the spread of the virus and it's funny because I I touched on this prior you know I had no intention of talking basketball with you today but it's cool because you do you know your NBA you know your Toronto Raptors so I got to talk some Raptors basketball with you this has been mostly a Raptors podcast in the past so there's been a lot of changes this offseason, and I'd love to get your thoughts on them. And I think, you know, you kind of have to start with Serge Ibaka, Marcus All, both going to Los Angeles for two different teams, the the Clippers and the Lakers, respectively. And the Raptors kind of replaced their front court with these these lesser additions to an extent. You know, Aaron Baines, Alex <laughs> Len, and, and re-signing Chris Boucher. The team also brings back Fred Van Vliet uh, on a great deal for both parties, in my opinion. So, Alex, what are your expectations for this upcoming season? Because obviously next summer is the massive deal with... With the max money Toronto can offer, you know, all of this talk about Giannis and Tentacupo possibly being on their radar, but it feels like the ceiling of this iteration of the team may be lessened due to its front court losses. So, so how do you see things playing out for Toronto? I, I don't know if we can aim, if we should be too optimistic and go higher than like a four seed. Uh, maybe I am being too optimistic. I don't know, but we've counted this team up before. Like you know, just last season, we all expected to be a consider there to be a considerable drop off after Kawhi left, a little bit of a championship hangover, and sure enough, they looked uh, spectacular during the regular season. They were a top three team in the East during the regular season, and then of course Miami snuck in there, and you know they took they took one of the spots for sure. But mm-hmm. but before the playoffs, before the bubble, Toronto was clearly uh, the, either top three, top two team. Um, so I'm I, I'm. Probably, you know, tempering my expectations. I don't see them finishing higher than fourth. But also, I think fifth, lower than fifth would also surprise me. So I think right in that range, any, any, anywhere higher, anywhere lower would surprise me. I I, I loved the signings of uh, Baines and Len. I would have loved the Baines signing even more if it was as a backup, of course, to either Ibaka or uh, Gasol. <laughs> uh, as a replacement was not exactly what I had in mind. I've been a Baines fan for a long time. I never thought replacement for either of those guys. But uh, this is the card we're dealt. Len... I'll, I'll tell you something. I have an un, I have an unhealthy fascination with Alex Len. I I've been um, watching this guy ever since uh, he came into the NBA. I'm not like an old school. I didn't follow him in college that much. Do you, first of all, do you remember that he was almost the number one pick? He went fifth overall, right? Yes. Yeah. They were taught. I think he was a workout wonder. I think people kind of he came into and, and again, if you've ever if anyone's watched him play, you'll know you can imagine how he'd look in a workout. This is a very mobile guy, <laughs> really really athletic, yeah. uh, legitimate seven footer. Uh, he's got a good touch. He uh, likes to handle the ball. I don't want to say he's a good ball handler. He is an uh, eager ball handler. Okay, um, But I remember <laughs> the first time I watched him, uh, and uh, I said the first couple of years I watched him, I'm like, I'm like, this is a guy who thinks that he can do anything on the court. He thinks he's Giannis into the Kung Fu. Yeah, he's confident. Anyway. Uh, he's, he's real confident. So uh, Raptors fans who are not familiar with Alex Land, you're going to have a good time this year with him. I think we'll also, you're also going to have a bad time. There'll be there'll be moments <laughs> where like, man, this guy really like, I could see why he was, you know, once a top five pick. And there'll be moments where you're just like, what is he doing? Pull him right now. Put him on the bench um, because clearly a super gifted guy. Uh, it'll be interesting to see how he does in an organization like Toronto, which is really well structured, has has had great coaching. Um, so again, and I'm not again, I'm not saying best case scenario he becomes like an all star or anything, but if you told me that Len will have his best season yet as a Toronto Raptor, it wouldn't surprise me at all. I wouldn't, and he wouldn't be the only one. I think we've seen a lot of players uh, get that get that uh, Raptors magic touch over the last few years. So you're heading the Alex Len fan club, which is surprising because yeah. Aaron Baines is the one who's becoming the overnight celebrity here. Oh, that's country. handled. That's it. That Baines fan <laughs> that Baines fan club Twitter account is the greatest. That those guys are. I'm embarrassed. I didn't know about the Baines fan club thing before uh, he came to Toronto because I, I love that they've already kind of made the transition. What what a great group of fans. What a great idea for an account. Uh, the memes are fantastic. So uh, Baines is covered. I think Len needs a little more. We got to get a little bit more Len steam going here beyond uh, steal my sunshine jokes, which well hilarious. Uh, can only go. Well, I think I'll be tired of by by February. So. Uh, you know, if you will watch, watch, watch Len, just keep watching that one game where he scored like 30 something points against the Bucks. Just put that on loop and you'll kind of get an idea of the excitement I'm feeling. 
I have 15 variations of steal your sunshine tweets saved yeah. in my drafts okay. ready for That's the good. opportune moment. I know it's going oh, to be great. done to death, but I'm getting ahead of the game here. I mean, you got you know what? You want to at least keep up, Chris. You want to at least keep up. You know, you're right. You're right. If you know it's going to be done, you want to at least be in there. Don't want somebody to beat me to the punch anyway. But yeah, <laughs> that joke is going to be done to death. It's going to get old super fast. But actually, now that I think about it, I haven't had a chance to discuss the recent John Wall for Russell Westbrook trade between the Wizards and Rockets oh since it went down with anyone on the podcast. You're getting in on the ground floor here, buddy, I, because I think a lot of people see this as a pretty level trade, but there's obviously a ton of risk with John Wall's injury history and how James Harden's going to take it. If Houston is going to move forward with him or if they're going to move him obviously the Brooklyn Nets are are looking to acquire him who do you see as the big winner here or is it simply moving apples for apples at this point I I have never seen such dramatic shuffling of the deck chairs my goodness uh I probably not a huge fan of either guy you, you you'll probably I mean my biggest I didn't enjoy Russell Westbrook until last year I loved the Rockets the Rockets uh, no centers version of Russell Westbrook that's probably the first time since uh <laughs> Since maybe he played them, to, you know they maybe they went to the, he went to the finals with OKC. That's probably the first time I've really enjoyed Westbrook. I'm I'm not a, I'm generally not a fan of him. Okay, um, but obviously a hellacious a hellacious competitor, uh, one of I think one of the great competitors of uh, of the last maybe ten years. There's just no one, you know. Again, you can say what you want about his play style. This guy always wants to win, you know. And and mm -hmm. I know it sounds cliche, but you honestly you can't say that about every superstar. There's a lot of superstars that get sidetracked with other stuff. This guy, when he's on the court, you know you are getting uh, maximum effort. Sometimes to his detriment, maybe. Uh, sometimes to his team's detriment, maybe. But that's something that you can't teach. And when you have that in a player with his talent, it's very understandable that if you're Washington and if, uh, and you're the fans of the uh, the Wizards and you got him. That there is this kind of renewed sense of optimism, you know, not that you're going to win a title with him and Beal necessarily, but um, one that, of course, much uh, fingers crossed, much healthier than John Wall, and at least good enough to get you back to the playoffs because they just haven't had a lot to root for uh, lately. So, uh, you know, it, it's I, I don't think it's a great trade for either team. I would say the Wizards kind of won it. Um, the, the health of Wall, as you said, is really the big X factor, but they, uh, Houston right now has so many other issues. The Harden thing is just hanging over their head, the trade demand that um, I, I don't know how much Wall, even being healthy, giving them 50, 60 good games. I'm not even sure if that's that's going to matter this this season. That that whole organization, they lost Maury, you know, of course, D'Antoni left. That whole organization has is just in chaos right now. They're probably still going to make the playoffs, but if they missed, no one would be surprised. If they made it and got eliminated in the first round, no one would be surprised. So this, yeah, it sounds so so pessimistic, but the ceiling just isn't that high there. Um, so uh, a slight edge to the Wizards. I'm gonna have to have you back on the podcast at some point to talk even more NBA basketball. Sure. This was supposed to be prominently a wrestling centric <laughs> episode, but you know what? You know your basketball, and on. I really dig it, man. I really appreciate it, but. Before we sign off, we're drawing to a close here, but like sure. I do with all of my guests, I have some fun rapid-fire questions to send you on your way. Hit me. So in a wrestling MMA crossover, I noticed you wrote a news story about MJF, AEW's mm. Maxwell Jacob Freeman, talking about his promo skills in comparison to the likes of Conor McGregor and Colby Covington and suggesting they'd, quote, absolutely verbally get bent over, unquote, if they were to go toe-to-toe <laughs> -to -toe with someone like him. Uh -huh. So, Alex, if you were to book a tag team match between who you believe to be the two greatest promos in wrestling history against the two greatest in MMA history in verbal warfare, who would be featured and who would come out on top? Boy, MMA, it would definitely be... Chael Sonnen would have to be one of them. Chael Sonnen, I think, is maybe the only... And yes, he steals a lot from pro wrestling. Verbatim, he's stolen some promos line for line from pro wrestling. Oh, yeah. But, he, but unlike a lot of... Uh, and a lot of MMA guys have, have done similar. Unlike a lot of MMA guys, he's actually fairly quick. If I think if people have seen him on his own show or doing interviews with other people, when he's not doing canned material, he can actually be pr pretty quick with his responses. And that, to me, is important. So Chael Sonnen would definitely be up there. I want to say Conor McGregor just for the star power. Though it's funny, I don't know if I would actually call him a great promo, like uh, maybe kind of like Sona. He has great timing, uh, yeah. which is you know, which, which is maybe just as important. You know, uh, who who the f is that guy, right? I mean, anyone else says that, it's 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 doesn't even sound funny. It's like, well, if you weren't there in the moment, you'd be like, how did that become such a big line? But at the time, this huge Madison Square Garden kind of pre-fight thing, uh, when he said that to Jeremy Stevens, it it was amazing. It was just, it was just really really funny. So I, I guess you have Sonan for sure would be one of them. McGregor. Probably the other one. I'm, I'm struggling to think of anyone else who could hang, even kind of hang with, with uh, pro wrestling people. 
on the pro wrestling side, you have so many people to choose from. Uh, Stone Cold Steve Austin, probably my personal favorite. He, he's my favorite wrestler maybe ever. Uh, uh, all, just all around Packers. I love Stone Cold Steve Austin. So he'd be in there. The Rock would be an easy choice, but... I don't know if I'd want him for this kind of battle. Also, a lot of, <laughs> also a lot of his uh, attitude era promos. He wasn't the only one. A lot of those attitude era promos. A lot of homophobia in there. A lot of casual homophobia. Yeah. In there. I wish we could do that. You know, Stone Cold probably did that. Really, everyone kind of did it around that time. But, um, but I'd still go Stone Cold. Stone Cold and MJF would be a good option. But I'll go with Jericho. I'd like to see how Stone Cold and Jericho would do. Uh, Jericho is one of the quickest wits in wrestling. I mean, that guy can cut any style of promo. That's probably one of, one of the big things too. Is, is versatility. Um, so yeah, uh, Sonnen and and McGregor in a promo battle with uh, Jericho and Stone Cold Steve Austin. That would be that would be something to see. But uh, but but either way, MMA guys, I'll say this: usually outclassed, usually outclassed. I ask everyone this on my podcast, Alex, because free time has been there throughout the pandemic to catch up on some shows. So I'm curious if you found yourself binge watching any shows as of late, or which programs you would recommend to me. Gosh, the only thing I binge watched, I actually straight up binged recently, was uh, uh, Lovecraft Country, which I thought was okay. Oh yeah, really? Vi- Did you watch that, Chris? I know of it. I don't okay. get HBO or Crave or yes. any of those. For anyone who hasn't watched an HBO show since like, uh, oh, I guess a lot of people watched Watchmen, but uh, which I still need to see by the way. Uh, guilty. Oh, it's um, good. But I know everyone saw Game of Thrones, and after that, kind of maybe didn't keep up with HBO stuff. So this is another HBO show. Uh, it is super violent and super gory, which people may like. There's a, there's a certain macabre uh, element to it, freak show quality to it. But the show is okay. I, I would certainly recommend it. It's worth watching. And then, uh, of course, like everyone else, I'm in the middle of, uh, of Mandalorian season. So uh, let me tell you, I love me some Star Wars, Chris, but uh, me and the Mandalorian aren't, aren't always meeting, meeting. Are you watching the Mandalorian? I watched maybe half of season one and then i caught up on the rest of the season with like a youtube compilation to get me through but i have not watched any of season two i see a lot of high praise from star wars fans out there sure yeah it's a good it's it's a really good show it's a fresh look at a lot of things it's a it's a really fun procedural which i like uh some people don't like that i'm kind of an old school star trek fan as well i kind of just enjoy that here's the mystery of the week you know uh you know, Chris, this was before every show needs to be prestige TV and, oh, I need this to yeah. be some, part of some, some huge, huge story arc. I need resolution. I need I need advancement of this huge story arc every week. Um, now, when, uh, by the way, The Mandalorian is only like eight episodes a season, so I can understand uh, the demand for a little more urgency, but I like the show when it's a procedural and the less that it calls back to Star Wars lore. I don't know how much of a Star Wars nerd you are, Chris, but... Oh, not at all. Star Wars fans love their fan service. They love someone saying, oh my god, oh my gosh, he mentioned the Millennium Falcon. Oh that that oh that that background character said the words Millennium Falcon. Oh, this is the best episode ever. Uh, I hate that. I hate fan service and anything. You know, this goes back to kind of bring it full circle to a wrestling talk, right? I hate anything that is just so self-reverential and just has to constantly bring up its past. But I I need to accept that Star Wars is a show about baby Yodas and space wizards. Maybe I shouldn't take it so seriously. And that fan service is the point of Star Wars, not not something that is just thrown in. So, um, so for anyone who loves Star Wars unequivocally, uh, great. I love it. I'm very critical of it, and uh, I definitely recommend people watch The Mandalorian. I'm just saying, uh, if you see me make any crusty tweets about The Mandalorian, don't be surprised. Well, I'll tell you this: my fiance is a big Star Wars fan, and I've never quite gotten into the franchise. I've tried mm. to start watching the the older movies and kind of work my way up, but at least with The Mandalorian, you don't need to be a Star Wars buff to yes. kind of appreciate it for what it is, and that's what yeah, I like that's about, great it. about it. Yes. No, yes. I know like Chewbacca and Darth Vader and Luke Skywalker and all sure. those guys, but at least for this show, it's like there's a Baby Yoda, there's a guy in a cool helmet, they're shooting lasers at people. I can I can that's appreciate it. that for what it is. That's it, and th- and that that to me is what I wish it, is all it was. But it's Star Wars. It's got to tie into the grand plot. You know, it's set between. The, there's like a five-year period between the, uh, the the new the newest trilogy, you know, Rise of Skywalker. Oh no, sorry, it's before. I'm sorry, I'm an idiot. Oh, Star Wars fans are gonna get me, Chris. Uh, no, I'm sorry. It's set five years after the original trilogy. It's and then before, sorry, the events of uh, uh, what was the what was the first one of the new? I don't know. Episode seven, um, A Force Awakens. People, I'm sure I like Star Wars. All right, I really. This 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 makes it sound like not, but. Uh, but yeah, it's set in between this gap between the, the original trilogy and the newest trilogy. Um, so of course you have to tie it in with a lot of the stuff that happened before. And then now, spoilers, setting the stage for some of the stuff that happens in uh, Force Awakens and the new, the new trilogy. So I don't love it, but to say that they shouldn't do it is probably insane because it's what fans want. 
and it makes sense to do it. So I'm just I'm just weird like that, Chris. Well, I'm sure someone's gonna hit me up and be like, why haven't you watched any of the Star Wars movies? I really don't care. It's not my cup of tea. But The Mandalorian is quite good, so say. I'll give you that. I, I won't I won't jump on you for that. Look, the, if you had told me you'd never watched a Fast and Furious movie, we'd be having another discussion because that's the real kids out there. If you're listening, that's the real trilogy that you need to be watching. I love Star Wars, and if you have time in your life to watch all nine Star Wars movies and uh, Rogue One and Solo uh, and all the cartoons, go for it. It's a great, great franchise. I love it. But the Fast and Furious movie, that's where it's at. That's a whole other podcast, Chris. I won't get into that now. But well, the Fast and Furious movies, yeah. Well, let me know when the Fast and the Furious movies go to space because I'll be right on top of that. That'll be awesome. Ten. We'll do a podcast on that. <laughs> Ten. We're two, we're two movies away, Chris. We're almost there. We're two movies away. And then the last one, time travel. <laughs> so hat tip to Yahoo Sports Canada for this question because I think it's extremely thought-provoking for Raptors fans out there. If you had to select one of the following four scenarios, Alex, oh, to I play out for Toronto, which would yeah. you select? Yeah. Kawhi Leonard returns to the team for five more seasons. Masai Ujiri signs a 10-year extension. Kyle Lowry returns to the age of 30, or Giannis Antetokounmpo signs a five-year contract? <laughs> I'm going to rule out the Kyle one. I saw, I saw this question, and the Kyle one is just so <laughs> weird. I'm like, okay, I, I guess? I mean, I don't really... That's a weird one. I'm going to rule that one out. I, I, I don't remember ever thinking when Kyle was 30 that we were like, oh my gosh, I hope this time never ends. It's kind of like, no, I, I get it. I get the benefits of it. No. Yeah. Uh, uh, yes, it would be great to have another like seven or eight years of prime Kyle, but uh, I... We have Fred now. We have Malachi. You know, you know, we've, we've got we've got some options in point guard. Um, not to downplay Kyle's contributions, by the way. When the day that that he is no longer a Raptor will be like one of the saddest days of my life. Uh, he's, he's such a probably one of, again, you know, the greatest player we've ever seen play for the franchise. Um, but uh, I'll roll that one out. The ten years of Masai is so tempting because you just imagine so many good things happening. You know, um, like the e the easy answer for me, of course, would have been Kawhi. I'm a huge Kawhi fan. But after that scintillating takedown by the athletic, I don't know, I, <laughs> right? Kind of stuff that was kind of unspoken here, that maybe yeah. going on here, but was unspoken. And then now to see it spoken and brought to light, you're just kind of like, oh boy, like, do we want? Do you want him to come back? No, I, of course I'd love to have Kawhi back, but I'm gonna go with the boring adult answer, Chris, and say, give me, give me that ten years of Masai. Give me that ten years of Masai because we, we've seen what he can do, not just with superstars, you know, taking gambles on like Kawhi. But in, in surrounding his foundational pieces like Kyle, um, with, with with talents like Fred, drafting guys like Pascal, that mind is just so invaluable. Uh, and in today's NBA, it's been said before about guys like Maury, um, good management is the real is the real money ball. It's the real outlier because it, it's there's no cap space on good management, right? So if you have someone who can guide your franchise uh, and manage all that stuff well and, and just make great decisions, and we've seen franchises that don't have that um, and how stuck in the mud they are, to, to, to have a guy who you know is going to keep you competitive every year uh, and, and you know, under the best circumstances, legitimately challenge and, and win titles, you, you can't put a price on that. Give, give me the 10 years of Masai. So I noticed on your Instagram account that you've had several interactions with wrestlers over the years. You've met sure. Heidi Lovelace, uh, a.k.a. Ruby Riot, amazing, Scarlett amazing. Bordeaux, Tennille Dashwood, James Ellsworth, and just some of those came at Smash Wrestling and others had StarCast. So which would you say, Alex, was your most memorable wrestler interaction? Man, the best, the first, this is what got me, I must have, you know, I think a lot of wrestling fans, we, we have lapses here and there, you know, and you just get older, you have other, you have other things taking up your time. Um, but before I started going to independent shows with Smash, the, uh, and and uh, I don't know, I guess I, I was probably watching wrestling casually and kind of taking a break. But I went to one of these Smash shows. There was some Groupon thing, you know, some deal. And I'm like, oh, cool, independent wrestling show. I'll check it out. So uh, the first Smash wrestling show was was headlined by uh, one of the headliners was Kevin Owens when he when he was um, uh, Kevin Steen. Right. And this this is what got me back to falling in love again. He was walking by. We had these great sort of we were right you know right by the entrance. Uh, Behind this, you know, behind this, the, the fence or whatever, and uh, I just yelled at him, you know, just, just, just my my favorite heel taunt, hey, whoever, you suck. Uh, so I gave <laughs> I gave Kevin Steen one of those, Chris. I put up some real sauce on it. He immediately stops walking and turns towards me, uh, and then he pushes my friend, not me. He didn't hear me, I guess, and he 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 pushes my friend uh, Paulo hard enough to like to like knock him back. And uh, Paul was just laughing. Paul was a huge, huge fan of his, uh, yeah. more so than me. I actually wasn't that familiar with Ring of Honor, and he was like, he he got pushed, and he was just laughing. He was laughing, and I think almost crying of joy uh, that Kevin Steen uh, pushed him. So that for me is probably to this day still my. And I think we saw him after, and we we're just like, oh man, you rule! Thanks for pushing me. Um, 
So that to me is because kind of the coolest interaction. Again, especially in retrospect, that he's he's become this main event guy for for WWE. So uh, go to live shows, guys. You get pushed on your ass too. So it's great. <laughs> Alex, boxing or MMA? Where does Jake Paul's KO of Nate Robinson rank on the greatest knockouts you've ever seen? And look, I'm really oh, stretching the word greatest Chris. here because it's Jake Paul. <laughs> Oh, and we were having such a nice conversation. Why do we have to bring that? that Look, was... it's a recency bias. Oh, okay, this goodness. is this is in the news. I did not see the fight. I just saw the KO, and I saw Nate Robinson topple over. That's it. We, we got to talk about it. This is an intersection of all of our interests, uh, Chris. This is <laughs> com combat sports, uh, boxing, uh, 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 basketball, human stupidity. Uh, it's it's really everything that we love to talk about on podcasts. I think is yep. <clears throat> was was it was boiled into this. Um, boy, it was. Uh, I'll tell you this: It was a hell of a moment for Jake Paul. I mean, it was—it was, of course, the second, uh, the second most hyped fight of um, of the Tyson uh, Jones exhibition event. Uh, and, and, and honestly, and for a lot of fans, remember, there's a whole generation of uh, this was geared towards more, I think, the upper adult range. But there's a lot of fans out there. I I'm not part of it. I don't understand the whole YouTube uh, celebrity thing. But obviously, Jake Paul and Logan Paul, two of the biggest YouTube celebrities out there, two of the biggest names in social media, sure, uh, for their for their various stupid things that they do. But <clears throat> Uh, for him to face someone viewed as a as a high level athlete, uh, and I think there was actually not terrible odds for Nate Robinson. I don't. I, I certainly he was. I I can't imagine he was favored, but there was definitely a, a lot of I think money coming in on Nate Robinson because you think former NBA athlete and, and really an elite even at his age. I think he's 36 now. You look at him you're like this guy's probably still a very very high level athlete. Um, and then and then we're reminded. That, you know, there's just a difference between being a high-level athlete and being good at, at any sport. You know, you could be, be the, you could be a, a, a great basketball player and know nothing about boxing, which is what we saw, unfortunately, on that on that Saturday night. Was he looked uh, nervous? Uh, he looked insanely nervous. If he had any boxing ability, I guarantee you it went out the window the first time he like stepped onto that ring um, and even kind of like tried taking a punch. It just he just panicked. He was he just kept rushing into Jake. He just kept trying to tackle him if we work on his takedowns we could be talking about a UFC contender in six months I don't know so maybe we're, maybe we're, maybe boxing is the wrong thing for him because he was, he was showing some nice some nice takedown attempts um, but I, I can't rank that that uh, that, uh, that knockout Chris. it was it was ghoulish it was ghoulish the referee did a poor job of letting him get knocked down he got knocked down the first time and that should have been it um, to send him out again to get punched like that again uh, he probably forgot about uh, uh, one of those dunk contests, Chris. After after that night, and I'm, I'm sorry, I hate to joke about concussions, but boy, that was that was really scary. Uh, and not, and I hope we don't see uh, Nate Robinson try boxing again. Is there another former NBA player you'd like to see step in the ring? Maybe not to, to box, maybe to wrestle, or, or just get physical. <laughs> I, I, you know, I think one guy people always talk about. Obviously, David. If we're talking about former guys, David West, I think was a, was one of the few I think legitimate. When we're talking, we should say this, uh, Chris. We've seen our fair share of NBA brawls. Uh, NBA fights are generally terrible. Um, yeah. I I love NBA players. I think they're I think they're legitimately tough. I'm not calling these guys out. But as far as when it comes to actual fighting, these guys do not know how to throw a punch. Okay. They they <laughs> honestly the most of them, I think James Johnson probably does. We know James Johnson trains martial arts. Uh, outside of him and a few others, these guys don't know how to throw a punch. Uh, most people don't. I know most people who have never been in a fight before probably think, yeah, I'd do okay if I, if I got into a scrap or something. It's like, you, you have no idea how embarrassing you look trying to throw a punch. And I'm, and I'm speaking for myself as well. I would never try and fight anyone, not because I'm afraid of getting hurt, because I'm afraid of looking like an idiot um, and getting hurt. So double whammy. Uh, it's, it's just not going to be a good situation for me. And uh, so there's just not a lot of basketball players I'd pick, but probably someone like a David West uh, maybe could get in there and scrap. I'm sure there's other guys who had some martial arts training, but that's uh, that's really the first name that comes to mind. Every other NBA player, please stay away from combat sports. Don't do are, it. Are you interested at all in seeing Shaq versus Cody in an AEW ring, which seems to be coming uh, to fruition? Of course. Look, Cody... Uh, look, people can people can uh, can say, "Oh, what a WWE move!" Uh, and I'm like, "Look, people, people were doing wrestling uh, celebrity cameos in wrestling long before WWE. Uh, they'll be doing it long after WWE is gone and AEW is gone, and we're we are nothing but dust somewhere in the apocalyptic wasteland. Someone will have a wrestling federation, and they'll have uh, the most famous warlord stepping in there for a celebrity appearance. And and uh, I think Cody's the guy for it. You know, he's 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 done WrestleMania. He's done gimmick matches before." Uh, he knows how to get the most out of anyone. This is probably one of the reasons why I speak so highly of his work, especially this past year with AW. Mm -hmm. um, so I'm definitely looking forward to it. I mean, th this is this is stuff that draws casual interest. It's funny. It's you don't take it too seriously, um, and I think it's going to bring eyes to AW, which is really the most important thing. So um, I'm so so. Who who is the real king of TNT, Chris? 
Who's the real king of TNT? That's what I want to know. And finally, Alex, for all of the non-wrestling fans out there who have stuck through the end of this podcast, bless their hearts, what's three or four matches you'd recommend to set them off on a potential fandom correctly? Oh my goodness, that's an excellent question. It's so hard to say because um, one of my favorite matches, uh, this is also Cody Rhodes' favorite match, and I think some people will laugh at this, but is the, you know, the Rock versus Hulk Hogan from Mania 18? I'm terrible with dates. Toronto, 18, yeah. 19? Toronto. I should know this, right? 18 or 19. Circle that date on your calendar. Because I can tell you it's going to be a day that I'm never going to forget. Quite frankly, a match I thought I would never, ever see. We'll never see Tyson and Ali. We'll never see Beirut and Barry Bond, but we are going to get to witness the rock and the hope. Only at WrestleMania. Uh, that to me is is one of the best matches ever, and I feel like anyone could watch it and enjoy it. There is you do it does help if you know a little bit of the history and kind of the story going into that match. It's what makes it even more fascinating. But I think even if you don't know that stuff, um, I think you can still get into it. Uh, I would say probably uh, one of the four man tag matches. My memory is really bad of remembering specific matches, but one of the four man tag matches from AW, uh, not necessarily like they've had better tag matches. Of course, the hang, the hangman and uh, Kenny versus the Bucks was maybe the greatest tag match of all time in any promotion. Um, the the match the Bucks just had with their rival was really good. But if you're talking about casual, they had a four man earlier this year. I believe it was the Bucks, uh, uh, Phoenix and uh, Pentagon, Butcher and Blade, and uh, one other team, maybe Private Party. And it was just one of those great spot fests, Chris. You know, a lot, a lot yeah. of great big moves. And I, that's the kind of match you would show people, I would think. So that's one for sure I would show people, and, and they would just be like, wow, that's really cool. Like, I, it's silly. You know, they wouldn't say it's silly, but I kind of want to see more. I want to know more about what, what what's up with some of these people. Um, uh, <laughs> if you want to be a little more serious, there's so much good New Japan stuff that I know people think, like, oh, that's like the last thing I want to show because it's, but I don't think people realize how, uh, especially because that, you know, there's a language barrier, how good these guys, some of these guys are at um, communicating action. Oh, yeah. Because uh, Moxley, I think the best match they ever had was with uh, Ishii at the, I want to say the 2018 uh, G1s a couple of years ago. Mm-hmm. And that to me is my favorite Moxley match. I think you show it to anyone. And that's the, one of those matches that has that magical people like, whoa, is this real? Like, are these guys fighting for real? Like, what, what, what's the deal with it? These guys know it's supposed to be fake, right? Um, so that's one that actually is one I would show people. And, and Ishii, for people to know, is like this super short guy who's also like maybe like the baddest wrestler on the planet. He's just so damn good. Um, man, I'm trying to think. I'm trying to think if there's one more. You know, I, I'll go even more recent. I'll go recent again and then just say, um, oh, no, you know what? You know what match I would show people? I'll go not recent. WrestleMania Seven, uh, Randy Savage and uh, Ultimate Warrior. Oh, I, okay. I love this match. It it's one of the only matches that still makes me cry. So for anyone who doesn't remember, um, it was uh, a bad guy, Macho Man. Randy Savage was a bad guy, the Macho King, and uh, Ultimate Warrior was uh, you know Ultimate Warrior. And they wrestled with oh, it was career a career match. Uh, whoever whoever loses would have to retire. And uh, Randy Savage loses, and at the end, his former valet slash real life wife, uh, Miss Elizabeth, comes out and this is, and saves him from his evil valet. who's kind of putting the boots to him because he loses. <laughs> Spoiler. Spoiler um, alert. Yeah. yeah, but that to me <laughs> as uh, captures the stupid drama of of pro wrestling. And if uh, you, you want to see that side of it, kind of peak like man soap soap opera way before the Attitude Era. That to me is like you would watch that and you'd be like, someone had to explain one or two things to you, but you could watch that and be like, wow, this is bizarre and great, and uh, and why can't I? Why is it so dusty in here? Well, Alex, I like those choices. I appreciate the Toronto shout out for WrestleMania 18, mm. Rock versus Hogan, and I thank you once again for coming on my podcast. I really don't get a chance to talk a lot of wrestling on here, which is certainly a lifelong passion of mine. So I'm happy I had the chance to do so with someone as knowledgeable as yourself. Before we sign off, Alex, let the listeners know where they can find you on the web. Well, as uh, I write uh, for MMAfighting.com. Uh, you can watch our stuff on YouTube, the MMA Fighting YouTube, and uh, I do. I, I, my face is on there regularly, uh, whether it's on the, the debate show, which hope, uh, but usually preview shows, post fight shows, live, which is always exciting. Uh, and I love, I love everyone who tunes into those. You guys are crazy because again, they're usually on at like two or three in the morning uh, East Coast time. You guys are the best. And um, also on our matchmaking podcast, which you started a couple of months back with myself and Mike Heck called On to the Next One, which is available on all uh, places where podcasts are found. I don't know. I don't handle that side of things. So, uh, <laughs> but you, but find, you can find the link, all the links on MMAfighting.com if you want to listen to that. And uh, Chris, the last thing I just want to say, I usually say this about MMA, 
But since we talk about wrestling, guys, wrestling is supposed to be fun. So please do not bog yourself down in uh, debates about, oh, I love AEW or I love WWE or I love New Japan. This is the best, blah, blah, blah. And I hate people who criticize. Enjoy what you enjoy. If it's silly, if it's serious, if it's, you know, whatever the style is. If you like going to live shows, you don't like going to live shows. If, if you like this wrestling, wrestling is supposed to be fun. Uh, it's not always a fun. There's certainly, when you see how the sausage is made, there's certainly an ugly side to it. But, but boy, if you're a fan, just be a fan and, and enjoy. And don't let any people bring you down. Like what you like. Um, and uh, Chris, thanks again, man, so much for having me on. I, I love to talk wrestling. Uh, so anytime, anytime. Let's do this again soon, my friend. Absolutely. And that was my interview with Alexander K. Lee. The K being for quality and incorrect spelling, of course. Go ahead and give him a follow on the Twitter sphere at Alexander K. Lee. Uh, this was one of the rare instances where I could talk wrestling on the podcast. I've done so in the past with Spectrum Sports' John Alba, and even Blake Murphy and I dabbled in some wrestling talk as well. And yes, I'm going to be sticking with basketball for the most part, but there's no restrictions with the podcast, so if there's something I'm passionate about and would like to talk about it with a guest, I have the luxury of doing so. I just hope that you'll stick around for those shows because you'll have the opportunity to learn about a ton of amazing people, like Alexander, of course. This has been episode 24 of the Walder Sportscast. If you like what you heard today, please go leave a rating and review to help support the podcast. We're on Apple, Spotify, Stitcher, Google, Podbean, and we even have a new logo. So if you don't like it, just lie to me and reach out at chriswalder26 at gmail.com with your feedback. Episode 25 is just around the corner. Will I do something special? I don't know, but if you're listening, Vince Carter, the open invitation still stands. That's another one in the books. So as always, I'll see you on the next episode. Thank you for listening to the Walder Sportscast. Hit that subscribe button on iTunes and follow Chris on both Twitter and Instagram at Walder Sports.